Hi, everyone. Hi. We are... Oh, I am Louie. I'm Gavin. And we are the Mixed Reviews. We are. Uh, it's, it's about 11.30 on a Saturday night, in case you're wondering how cool, individually, we both are. Gavin. Thank I'm, you. I'm oh, my God. God. Excellent. Clink. Um... So yes, so The Mixed Reviews is a podcast in which we take something in the film world, be it an actor, a director, a writer, a uh, theme, and we sort of dissect it. We and take, like, women, dogs. <laughs> yeah, we uh, dissect them. <laughs> we dissect them. <laughs> um, limb by limb. <laughs> and we tell you uh, what we like the best about it and what we don't like the best about it. Right. And, uh, yeah. And we are excited tonight to bring you a very exciting, illuminating um, person in Hollywood. But first... But first... We have some old business to take care of. I want to immediately off the top say that I done goofed with... You done goofed. I first of all done goofed because I didn't put the pull up until very late in the game. Um, I realized, I was like, oh wow, it's like already Wednesday and I haven't like done anything for this. And then I did do it and I put it up for one day. But we still got good like uh, yeah. uh, response. Um, so last episode we talked about Stephen King. Um, and P.S. Can I just say I went on a blind date last week and I asked this person if he'd seen it because everyone's seen it by now. And he was like, yeah, it wasn't even scary though. And so many people have been telling me how it's not scary at all. And I'm like, <laughs> you assholes. <laughs> Like, don't know the pain I went through watching that movie, just screaming for my life. All I know is I only want to see horror movies with you from now. It's rude, okay? (laughs) Don't... You're making my feelings feel not heard. (laughs) Everyone who thinks it's not scary. Um, Mike from work, okay? (laughs) Anyway. Hi, Mike. uh, (laughs) Hi. Um, So we asked you what your favorite Stephen King adaptation was. At Misery, which was my choice, got 19%. Dolores Claiborne, which was Gavin's choice, got 13%. Uh, the Big Loser, which uh, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say most of you have not seen Dolores Claiborne, and you should get on that. Okay, you're so indie, you're so hip. No one's ever seen my favorite movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my name's Gavin, and no one's seen anything I've seen. Um, in first place was The Shining, that came in 38%. Um, other, though, got a healthy 30%. Yeah. And we got a lo- lot of... Um, Cool, interesting answers. We got Cujo. Um, someone actually said this year's it. Yeah, I believe that was Clutter and Kindle. Yeah. Um, also, my friend Mariel said she really, really liked Thinner. And I'm like, did you though? <laughs> Girl. Girl. <laughs> thinner. You liked Thinner? I was like, you and who else? <laughs> she's the one person. She's the one person. She's she's the $5 that made in the theater that Ah, night. there you go. Um, before we move out of old business, I just want to cover two things. Uh, we have our first correction, which I'm sure there's probably corrections in other oh episodes. God. But I hate being wrong. Stephen King has three children. I said he had two. I left out Owen King, who he has a book out with, like, now, called Sleeping Beauties. Oh, my so, God. So, yeah. Did Owen call? Owen called. Owen called and was like, hi, hello. And then the other thing I want to say is uh, this past Friday, um, September 29th, uh, Gerald's Game uh, dropped on Netflix. And uh, as I mentioned, it. Yeah, as I mentioned last week, Mike Flanagan... Directed it, and it's really fucking good. I actually literally just watched it before coming over. And uh, it's a little gory towards the end, so if you're not a big gore person, you might want to skip it. But, like, so good. And keep eyes peeled, ears peeled. There's a Dolores Claymore reference. Nobody's seen that movie. <laughs> so don't worry about it. <laughs> Anyways. Anyway. Moving on to this week's subject. This week's subject. <laughs> the alarms are going off for the new subject. Everyone's excited. Right. Because, guys, today we're talking about the beautiful, 
the Mexican, Diego Luna. Diego Luna. Ugh. Will Ferrell did a stage show as George W. Bush. Uh, I don't know if anybody ever saw it. It was at the end of Bush's presidency. It was like, you know, you're welcome, America, George W. Bush on stage. And one of the main jokes of it was just saying your name over and over and over again. They could have cast someone awful like Sean Penn <laughs> or Diego Luna. <laughs> you got to understand, no president's perfect, but almost three-fourths of the country not liking me? I can't accept that. Diego Luna. Did you ever see this? And what did you think of it? And did you ask him about it? I asked him, and, and he said to me, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was funny. There's, there's nothing more ridiculous than George Bush trying to say your name. And I go like, <laughs> what? <laughs> but apparently it was very funny because when I saw the video, everyone is laughing like crazy in the show. He's such a dreamboat. He really is. I mean, he... I. I've told you, I'm a Gael man myself, but ugh, listen, why not both? <laughs> yeah, exactly. As I've often found following their career, especially after this week, right? you can have both. You can have it all. <laughs> you can have Gael Garcia Bernal and Diego Luna for the well, price of one. But Gael, we'll come back to you later at a later episode. I'm sure we will. Yeah, totally. Uh, so let's get into our rewind and learn a little bit more about Diego. Diego was born on December 29th in 1979. He's a Mexican actor, producer, director. Um, he got his start in telenovelas, as many a Mexican uh, actor does. It's a big market. Including Salma, who Salma. we talked about, talked about earlier. It's funny. She's going to come up again. She is. Feeling, so. Um, so Luna was born in Mexico City. He still lives there today, and he actually has been talking about and raising money and uh, for the the big earthquake that has happened, uh, I was gonna, I was actually gonna leave that for the fast forward. But I, I you know, if you want to talk about it now, he actually reteamed recently with Gael and Omez, which does a lot of charity work uh, for, especially in Hollywood, um, to get money out to Mexico City after the awful earthquake that uh, just happened cool. a couple weeks ago, and like something, some crazy number, two hundred seventy something people died. And I know that makes me, I sound very flip. I'm not trying to be flip. Um, but you should donate through them. And actually, uh, here's a little sound from them. As of recent reports, 273 people have died. More than 100 people are still missing. They're estimating that it's hundreds of thousands of people that have lost everything. Already we have so much to be grateful for. Across all divides, Mexican society has responded to this earthquake with inspiring and powerful solidarity. But we still need help from those of you seeing these disasters from afar. You can support Mexico via the Omaze platform, which allows us to receive the money internationally. Mexico needs your help more than ever. Thank you very much. I mean, I think the bit, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it more, but he is through and through truly a Mexican, you know, artist. Yeah. He still lives there today. He, yeah. He does not have any, like, um, like desire to... You know, he wants to make movies for sure, but he wants, I think, to really promote art and um, filmmaking in Mexico. Um, so his mom was Fiona Alexander. She was a British costume designer and she worked in the film industry. And um, she died, though, when Luna was two years old. Oh, my God. His dad, Alejandro, was uh, like probably the most famous Mexican um costume and set designer. Lady Gaga wrote that song about him. Right. Right. Yeah. That song is about him. 
Um, true fact. True facts. There will be no corrections yeah. about that next week. Alejandro's gonna call and be like, you're right. <laughs> um, so after, um, Fiona passed away, Diego was just really immersed in theater with his father who was doing all these, um, set designs in theater, film, and opera in Mexico. Uh, and so he would go to all these sets with his dad and was just like, you know, being cultivated as this, uh, burgeoning artist. Um, I mean, one thing I'll say about Diego, and I think you agreed with me, like, finding a lot about him was a little bit difficult. Yeah, he's a very private person. Seemingly private, Right. Um, According to our sleuths. And trust me, we searched far and wide. High and low. We're like, beep boop, beep boop, Veronica Mars. <laughs> yeah. Could you could I, you go figure it out for us? I love her so much. <laughs> she, she was a snarky, snarky girl. <laughs> uh, so he starred in El Premio Mayor in 1995. Um, and he really broke through into cinema with Itu Mama Tambien in 2001. Uh, I'm going to force you to say all the Spanish names for me. To okay, I'll do, on I'll do that. Because every time I'm going to say them, it's going to be like, you know, that movie, Itu Mama Tambien. Oh my God, Gavin. <laughs> Perfect. Just talk about that all the time, please. <laughs> Oof. Um, he also was in the biopic Milk in 2008. Um, he met Gael. As a child, they've yeah. been best friends forever. And I mean, probably it's not hard when they're, they both were born into like affluent family, families who, you know, had the opportunity to become actors. Every director that has worked with, uh, with Gael, I, I, I give them a call at the end. How was it? Uh, <laughs> you don't want to know? How could have exactly. been with me? <laughs> no, come on. There's no rivalry. I mean, we're friends. We can uh, say to each other that, that we love each other. Because it's very important as well to to be able to say that, you know, and to actually all of our emails end up with like, like te quiero mucho, like I love you a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know in English it sounds like, <laughs> but in Spanish I don't know why it makes kind of it's a, it sounds cuter. He actually owes a, a portion of his breakthrough career, and I'm not saying it wouldn't have happened without Gael, but like um, Alfonso Cuarón, who directed Itamama Tambien, did not want to cast. Uh, right. Diego Luna because he was a soap star right. and he worried about his acting ability and the sort of attention it would bring because Itamama Tembien's like goal was to be a very small film it was like Alfonso Cuarón's big comeback to Mexico after working in Hollywood right so uh, I think it's really interesting but uh, sorry I digress. no yeah I mean uh, just to say you know they've worked together in many films um, and together they own Canana Films which is um, a production company that produces documentaries and films about social issues in Latin America. Um, a lot of them are about, you know, unsolved murders and just uh, Mexico as a whole. I think between the two of them, they're really doing so much work to um, highlight and tell stories and art about Mexico, which is not very common on the global scale. Um, and one of, you know, Diego's big missions is to, uh, make movies in Mexico and increase sh their shelf life and like get them distributed beyond just, you know, like, oh, it's in two theaters in Mexico City and then like they go away forever. I think he and Gael have really worked really hard to, um, create buzz and interest and to get these movies really seen by the masses. Yeah. And get people thinking about Mexico in diverse ways and not just, you know, whatever prejudices and th like thoughts we have about the country. Um, so, and he also, 
He's now a producer and director. Yes. He's directed uh, two films. Yeah. And yeah. he's produced a lot of, uh, he did a show. Um, and, and again, he's, I think, really putting his money where, uh, uh he wants to highlight things for him. Uh, and I think that's what's really great about, I mean, him actually more so. I don't, I don't, I don't want to take anything away from him. Him definitely more so than anybody else we've covered, but the, like the, uh, most of the actors and actresses we've covered that have come from a foreign country have found a way to give back to the, you know, Charlize Theron gives a lot to South Africa right. and Salma Hayek gives a lot to Mexico as well. And, um, but like Diego Luna, like you said, he's really like living it. He's like being, he, he really like, is power. Yeah. I mean, and it's wild because I kind of, I mean, and I don't know this, but I kind of get the sense that he's like not terribly interested in like, doing the Hollywood hustle. Yeah. You know, like, I look, he, I mean, there's been, there's, there's Hollywood movies he's in that are, yeah. real, that are clearly like moneymakers. Totally. I mean, but even like Star Wars, right. Like it was like, they called him and were like, Hey, we want X, Y, Z. And I think he kind of knows what he's like castable in. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, okay, if they want me to do like a gangster dude, like whatever. Right. But I think he's way more interested in like building up this, uh, you know, f- this community of artists right. in Mexico and like helping others, you know, um, and so his favorite actors are Javier Bardem and Vincent Gallo. Oh, really? Uh, Vincent Gallo. That's an interesting. Yeah. Uh, uh, what am I also looking for? Oh, he also, he was married to Camila Sodi, who he met on the set of The Night Buffalo, uh, in 2007. They have uh, two kids, I believe. They're now divorced. My son is eight, my daughter six. Did you ever bring them to the set? Because, I mean, I was a god just for taking them to the movie. You can take them to the actual world. It's like, I mean, you know, my work has always separated me, you know? So it was always a negative thing uh, for my kids, you know? It's that thing that keeps daddy away. And uh, Mm -hmm. this time it was was the opposite. It was like, you got to get to work, you know? (laughs) Go to Star Wars, dad. (laughs) Let's get going. Yeah, I I take my my son to set, and that was amazing, you know? We we were in the the Rebel Station. uh, We were in Yavin and... And uh, my son is seeing the X-Wings and all the rebels, and he, he gets to play with the weapons and everything. Fantastic day, the best day, you know, in his life. And then <laughs> the producer comes and says, hey, Geronimo, we're so glad to have you here. And we just want to remind you that uh, you cannot talk about what happened here in a year, okay? <laughs> and For he a goes, whole like, year, and he's how old? He's eight. That's <laughs> a lot to tell an eight-year-old, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he goes, yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> And I'm seeing him like, oh, God, this is going to get me into trouble. <laughs> yeah. Like five months later, we were in a holiday in the beach and uh, uh, we were in the pool. And I see him talking to four girls, 16-year-olds. And I go like, yeah, you know, at first he's like, well done. I mean, Good, he's yeah. beating that definitely. Yeah. Know? He's like doing the right thing. So I just want to hear what he's saying just to see what cars he's pulling out of his sleeve. And yeah. I swim and I... And I get close and I start listening. Well, no, you have to understand, this is a film with no Jedis. It's about rebels. You know? <laughs> <laughs> this guy is going to get me into jail. He's going to get you sued. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's going to get you arrested. Now he's dating 
an Australian model actress character person. So she is actually Australian. I think she is. Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I can't remember her name right now, but I know it from work. Like they yeah. talk about her a lot because she's an it girl. Yeah. Um. Yeah. She's not my fave. She's not. Yeah. <laughs> she's the star of the Bad Batch. Yes, which he's in, and we probably won't talk about it very much because he's literally in it for five seconds. He's in it technically. Yeah. Literally, if you sneeze, you miss him. Right. Like I put myself through watching that movie, and I was like. I hate myself. Oh, it made me so angry because I really love that director's first movie. A girl walks home alone at night. If you have not seen a girl walks home alone at night, do that. Do that. Oh, he, oh, I know her name now. It's Suki Waterhouse. Yes. Suki Waterhouse. Yeah. She's real bad in it too. So she's a real bad. Um, getting back to, uh, to Diego, him and, uh, Gael also co-founded Ambulante, um, which is an organization and film festival that works to bring documentary films, uh, to different places. The organization was awarded the Washington Office on Latin America Human Rights Award. Um, and he also was like, he's been judge on many film festivals. Like, I think he was this year a judge on the Berlin Film Festival. Yeah. Um, and he's just very about telling stories, diverse stories about Mexico and all the different facets um, of the country. Uh, so, yeah, he's been in like many like movies we couldn't find a lot of them though no yeah especially the mexican films it became a lot harder which is funny because it's usually not even that much of a problem for either of us to find these films i mean even when we were doing summer hayek i found most of her mexican films like without any issue yeah i think it really speaks to a lot of the things that he's fighting for as a mexican artist to really get the art out into the world because i think there are people he loves working with, yeah. you know, different directors and actors. And I think he uh, really is trying to put it out there. And so, I mean, it shows like we were trying to look for these movies that are so tiny yeah. that we just could not find them anywhere. You know, I was uh, up like there were even things on Amazon that I was trying to rent that were not available yeah. for, like for us to watch. Uh, and same with YouTube. And like, because YouTube actually does have a really good rental service if people don't realize right, that. Right, right. And, um, and, and it just doesn't exist. And a lot of these movies, though, are like productions, um, like one, uh, Only God Knows. Yes. Which was, uh, Brazil, no, no, a Spanish Mexican production. Like, a, yeah. And it was like the first movie made by both countries together. And I just couldn't find it anywhere. Uh, so I'm sad. And, um, hopefully maybe if any of you guys have seen, um, some of these more, uh, tiny movies can let us know what we're missing out because I, I feel bad because we we have a lot of blind spots. Yeah, yeah. For his both, uh, both of us do yeah. more more so than normal, I would say. Yeah, for sure. Um, before we move into either of our picks, I did want to say one thing real quick. Uh, as you mentioned briefly, he was just in the last Star Wars film, Star Wars Rogue One, which is a prequel to the to the first film, but post the prequels. You guys get it. You're all nerds. <laughs> we all know. Um, and. Uh, there was a tweet that went out around the time the movie came out that uh, I think got a lot of attention because Diego Luna retweeted it himself. And I just wanted to read it because I actually think it's kind of important. Um, the tweet was by uh, River Always New. And it says, I took my father to see Rogue One today. I wanted to take him for a while. I wanted my Mexican father with his thick Mexican accent to experience it. Uh, what it was like to see a hero in a blockbuster film speak the way he does. And although I wasn't sure uh, it was going to resonate with him, I took him anyways. When Diego Luna's character came on screen and started speaking, my dad nudged me and said, he has a heavy accent. I was like, yep. When the film was over and we were walking to the car, he turns to me and says, did you notice he had an accent? And I said, yeah, dad, just like yours. Then my dad asked me if the film had made a lot of money. I told him it was the second highest grossing film of 2016, despite it only being out for 18 days in 2016, since the new year just came around. 
Then he asked me if people liked the film. I told him it was a huge following online and great reviews. He then asked me why Diego Luna hadn't changed his accent, and I told him that Diego had openly talked about keeping his accent and how proud he was he is of it. And my dad was silent for a while, and then he said, and he was a main character, and I said, he was, and my dad was so happy. As we drove home, he started telling me about other Mexican actors that he thinks should be in movies in America. Representation matters. Yeah. And I think that's also truth to power to what Diego totally. Luna is trying to do. And I remember that that tweet, and I remember, like, the Washington Post and a bunch of people picking that up and, you know, writing stories about that. And that's just, Diego, the way he speaks is, uh, a lot of his acting, I think, comes from his, like, physicality and yeah. also his addiction. He just sounds, uh, there's a movie Criminal. Did you watch Criminal? No, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's with... Um, John C. Riley. John C. Riley and uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yes. And, and it's a remake of Nine Queens. Right. I yeah. think it's a remake. Uh, and it's like a heist thing movie, yeah. whatever. Uh, and Diego teams up with John C. Riley to like steal shit or whatever. And John C. Riley's like, man, you know, because he like kind of shows off and he's like, man, you've got something that no one can like learn. And he's like, what's that? Uh, Diego says, what's that? He's like, you look like a nice guy. And I think like he's so disarmingly like charming just yeah. like looking at him. And he's not like a buff ripped. Like, no, not at all. And even in movies where he's like supposed to be buff and ripped, yeah. he clearly did not move in that direction. He, like, like, I mean, his uh, like sexuality on the screen is completely different than what Hollywood standards are. Yeah. He like is able to, and I think a lot of his power comes from being able to navigate this kind of like feminine and masculine energy. And like, absolutely. There are movies where he is like very tough and whatever, but I think the way he speaks, especially when he's speaking in English, I think um, I would say majority of times when he's speaking in English, it's very feminine um, and I think it's because he said in interviews, right, like, he, he's like, doing a day of work on Star Wars was exhausting because I have to think about all these things in English. And I'm like, having to work in English and it's hard work for him, you know, as opposed to when he's working in Spanish, where he is able to like, kind of navigate all sorts of things that are more natural to him. And he doesn't yeah. have to like, think as hard about it. Um, because I, I realized that I was like, oh, like, in Star Wars, He's kind of, you know, not like your typical gruff, yeah, you know, yeah. angry dude. Which is funny because I feel like the characters were not... I, I will admit, Star Wars is not my favorite performance from him. I think he's the right choice for that role. I think the role is written poorly. I don't think the role was really tailored to him. Right. I think a lot of these, like, uh, like in Criminal, he's kind of like this delicate man. And yeah. like, kind of like... Um, he's often cast as, like, quote, outsider. Like, yeah. Um, and there's always a moment when they're like, do you know enough English to get by? Like they're like in criminal and he's like, yeah, it's fine. Um, but it, it's always kind of, he still plays this kind of like outsider, like maybe not as intelligent or quick yeah. because he's, you know, speaking English, uh, with this like heavy accent. And then his Mexican movies, it's just like, he's able to access more parts of his like skill set. Yeah. Um, uh, and, it's a little bit of a shame that no one in Hollywood or in any English, you know, making movie makers are allow him to do that as much. I think uh, Star Wars maybe was like probably one of the first movies where he was not like in an English speaking role and not yeah. having to play a Mexican. Yeah. Like, and whatever like stereotype that 
is, you yeah. know, associated with that in Hollywood, uh, which was amazing and it was awesome. Uh, so yeah. So, uh, for the last couple episodes, we've been, you know, I've noticed we start with the five star reviews and then move into the one star reviews. Uh, I really like Diego. I don't like all of his movies. So I want to end it on a higher note. So why don't we move into our one star reviews first? Let's do it. So this was hard because he, a lot of his movies aren't great. Yeah. And a lot of movies that we could find or I could find were not, you know, things that I found terrible. Yeah, I told, I told, I told somebody we were doing Diego Luna and they were like, Oh, he does, he's not made some really great movies. And I was like, I know. Right. <laughs> um, and so I, uh, of what I could find, like, and there, and I told you this, I've, there are a lot of movies that he's in for like a hot second. Yeah. You know, I started, I literally started watching Bloodfather and I was like, I guess I'll watch this fucking Mel Gibson movie. But then, spoiler, Diego Luna dies within the first five minutes. Oh, well, then you were fine. And then I was like, yeah. nope, bye! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I turned that off. Uh, it's kind of the same thing happened with Before Night Falls, which I'm sure is a fine movie. Be- Before Night Falls is a fucking great movie, so you but, should watch the rest of it at some point. But Diego Luna is yeah. literally in it for five for, minutes. Forgive us, Father, for our Johnny Depp sins, because he's in it, but... Right, truly. Um, my least favorite movie, and I j- watched it for the first time, is The Terminal. Yeah, the terminal fucking sucks. Oh, good, good. And, and I don't know if this I is- didn't rewatch it. I could not rewatch it. I saw it at the drive-in movie theaters oh, when no. I was in my Yeah, I was like, I want to leave. I think I saw it with Spider-Man Two of all things. But anyways, go on. So you had a bad night. <laughs> I like Spider-Man Two. You hush. Not the Amazing Spider-Man Two. Uh, Spider-Man Two. Toby. Toby M. You know. Right, right, right. right. Our girl Kirsten. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, yeah. So the terminal was in two thousand four. Directed by Steven Spielberg, mm-hmm. which is wild, bizarre, cannot wrap my brain around. Um, starring Tom Hanks and Catherine Zeta Jones. Um, the movie, I mean, I've written no notes for this because it is the most like paint by numbers wannabe Hollywood movie I've ever seen. Tom Hanks plays a foreigner from Karskovia or some bullshit. Yeah, like, it's a made up European, yeah. Eastern European country. He is flown to New York, and he is at JFK trying to get into New York City to, like, honor his father and his dying wishes, apparently, like, just basically. And while he's there, though, Stanley Tucci is like, nah-uh-uh, I don't think so, honey, because his home country is in, like, civil war, and so for some crazy wild reason, he slips through the cracks and, like, his passport is invalid because well, his country is in yeah, disarray. Exactly. And they make Because it's based on a true story. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, this guy lived in a Paris uh uh Paris airport for some some crazy amount like something like this is gonna blow your mind when I if if I figure it out. Um <laughs> like a crazy amount of time. Like Yeah, from nineteen ninety eight to two thousand six. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's he lived in that airport. A lot more than I thought it was gonna be. Yeah. Um but this movie though, Tom Hanks essentially is like no, don't know. Yeah. New York City? It's really embarrassing. New York City. I mean, the one grace that movie has is that they made up a country. Yes. The, it's based on the, the gentleman that it happened to in real life is Iranian. Oh, God. Can you imagine Tom right. Hanks being an Iranian? Like, uh, like yeah. Diego Luna is a, like, food service handler yes. character. Yeah, yeah. He, like, prepares meals for the flights. Yeah. Or something like that. 
And um, he's madly in love with, I think it's Zoe Saldana, who's in this yes. movie. And she's like an ice agent or something adjacent to that, like yeah, customs yeah. agent. And Diego's part in this movie essentially is he sees this char- Tom Hanks character going to see this woman he's in love with. And he's getting rejected every day from going into the country. And and he's like, and Tom Hanks is like hungry and like, you know, needs food. And so Diego's like, oh, I'll feed you food if you... You know, send messages to Zoe for me. What do you like? Conventions. Conventions? What are these? Conventions. Conventions. This is like a secret place you go. So she go to these conventions just as your man ran. Woman ran. She's a trekkie. Yes, She's a trekkie. Doomsday machine. Oh, I know what it's it's a very like whatever performance and role, yeah. You know, like it, the movie. I mean, it's nice that he has on his resume Steven Spielberg film, but right. I mean, I have more problems with a movie than with Diego in the movie. Yeah, the movie like surrounds itself with like quote others. It's like literally his like band of troops is like a black guy who's like a security guard maybe. Diego Luna, who's, like, a food dude, and, like, an Indian guy who's, like, a janitor. Yeah. And then it's, like, Tom Hanks as, like, other European who doesn't know things. And it's, like, you're supposed to feel like they're all on the same level of, like, being outsiders and misfits. Yeah, Tom Hanks. Right. The most misfitty person of all. It's just, like... America's dad, Tom Hanks. It it reads so false. And, like... and. Catherine Zeta-Jones just kind of, like, comes in and out as, like, a flight attendant, and she's just, like, I'm so, like, disheveled and crazy, and, like... But she's also Catherine Zeta-Jones. Right. And she is... I'm I'm so disheveled and crazy. Buy this throw that I'm selling this year. (laughs) Right. And she's, like, having an affair with someone, and she, like, magically falls in love with Tom Hanks's, like, crazy, Krakokian, whatever, character, who's, like, learned how to read from watching the news, and, like, can speak English now, and... He, like, magically finds a job. The movie just, like, kind of reeks of... Is it white guilt? I don't know. It is, like... It's very, like, patting yourself on the back, Hollywood, of, like, being, like, oh, this story about, like, these outsiders. And it is... It's it's hard for me to root for Tom Hanks. And, like, I was like, Tom, you've got everything. Like, why are you making this? Like, why... It was not... It's not for him. And I'll be honest, like... And it's not... It's not completely his fault but he's just reached a point in his career that's like i i feel like there this is a this is a different topic for a tom hanks episode that we'll eventually have i'm sure but like you know when he did larry crown too it's like he's not believable as an underdog no he's just not um and i know that's like what he won his academy awards for but like he's just not there anymore right it's 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 a misplaced but but also yeah like my barring all the like terrible racial stuff that's in the terminal which is all surface too which is yeah where, like it's not even implied no like, yeah, it's yeah. Not, not like anybody tried but uh it's boring it's a really boring movie yeah like they did nothing to make the his plight seem i don't know and it, right it, like it's something that really happened it shouldn't be that hard to like fabricate drama from that but, i will like, say i mean to diego's credit their love story, him and this other woman, were probably the most interesting. And like, yeah, they they he had all some real love... chemistry with Zoe Saldana. <laughs> yeah, and they... before I knew who Zoe Saldana was, right? Yeah. This is a young Zoe. Yeah, yeah. Um, they fall in love because he finds out that she's a Trekkie, yeah. and like, it's 
it's funny and interesting to see him like kind of get excited about this and and then she gets to be uhura years later i know yeah <laughs> she does the whole like yeah, vulcan the, salute yeah he's not bad in this movie the movie's just so like i of all the movies i watched this was the most like i just had zero yeah. enjoyment you know as a complete sidebar uh, there is a very good version of this sto- of this story actually really and i know you're you're gonna think i'm crazy but i mentioned last week too there's an opera called flight it's an opera in English. Oh my God, and, yeah, and it's really fucking good. And it was written before the terminal. And, uh, and like, it's not a love story. Like the, the foreign character is like almost a passive observer to everything that's happening in the, in the, um, airport. And it's great. It's, it's really good. It's actually really, really good. Your opera agenda yeah. needs to end <laughs> now, Gavin. I just need to convert some people. Uh. Just need, um, what about you, Gavin? What's your one star well, review? Well, thank God you picked the terminal because that wasn't even on my radar. And I had, I had one picked and then I had a backup and I don't have to use my backup. Okay. But I will tell you what the backup is after I get done destroying this other movie. Oh my God. I'm nervous. I'm scared. <sighs> Louis. Uh huh. Did you watch? Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. You know what, Gavin? I did. You know what's a real bad movie, Louie? What's that, Gavin? Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. Before you get going, I will say that I, this was the first... My first, like, international flight was to the U.S. Virgin Islands. And this was on the plane. And I watched it on the plane going to the U.S. Virgin Islands. And I was like, ooh, I'm going to an island, too. I was a child. You are the problem. I was a child. <laughs> um, but also, I did rewatch it. And... Um, I'll let you talk about it first. Well, well, the fun thing about this movie, first of all, is um, it began as a script written by Peter Sagal, who is the host of NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Right, right, right. Which yes. is really funny. Um, but it was a t- loosely true story of this girl's time this, as an American uh, living in Cuba around the time of the revolution. And the script went nowhere. And then years later, they decided to revive the script without him. And they changed every bit of dialogue and pretty much all of the setting. And they were like, we're going to make a Dirty Dancing prequel, sort of, out of it. So a girl who moves to Cuba from America, her father works for Ford. And uh, he moves his, he up and moves his family there. And she has a younger sister who I recognize the actress, but I can't think of her name. Yeah, she did look familiar now. Um, and the, the parents are Roger Sterling from Mad Men. Yes. And Celia fucking Ward. Celia Ward. I love Celia Ward. Giving her all. Yeah. And, um, and they're living in this, like... Fancy hotel. Yeah, this resort. Um... And the, where all the white people live, including a very young January Jones, who's doing a better job at acting than she's ever done in January any January Jones doing, like, the best mean girl you've ever seen. Like, yeah. she's just laying by a pool and being like, I'm a bitch. Yeah, exactly. I'm gonna be real racist for a moment. Uh-huh. And, uh, really the best performance I've ever seen January Jones do. Best performance of the movie? Yeah. <laughs> Genuinely. And, um... You know, I don't. I don't want to give too much crap to actually the main girl because apparently she had a really awful time doing it. Uh, um, she, they kept it like, apparently like the whole time they kept being like, "You're too heavy. Like you don't. You weigh too much." And holy like, shit. Um, and she she did an interview like three or four years later after the movie came out, um, where she was basically like, "I don't understand why they didn't hire Kate Bosworth. They clearly wanted Kate right. Bosworth. They wanted a Kate Bosworth. Kate um, Bosworth who's still like a whisper of a yeah, human being. Exactly. And um. So, but anyways, so she moves there and she's instantly entranced by this mm-hmm. young Cuban man who works there. And, uh, one day she walking home from school cause she, for, like her car doesn't come or some stupid thing. Like she sees him dancing in the street amongst many people dancing right, in the street right. because this is all Cubans do because Cubans don't have jobs right. or anything. They, they just, just dance. dance in the street. Right. They just, like, 
And this is the moment where, like, my head exploded, and there's still an hour and a half left of this film, because this movie is the most... Uh, for years in Hollywood, there's been this con- this concept of the exploitation of the black man's body. This was the most disgusting exploitation I've seen of, like, the Cuban body. Literally every Cuban person in the film, including his, like, revolutionary bl- brother, is only there to be, like... Just a body. Right. Just a carnal body. Like, that's all they are. They're like sex incarnate. They're the others. I mean, there's nothing that separates the, the Cuban characters in Dirty Dancing Havana Nights from like, I don't know, like, like the, the images of savage men in Birth of a Nation, like bursting through fields and raping white women. Ugh. Like, it's so insane. And I could not believe this. They're all like made. sweating. They yeah. all have like deep V cuts. This movie was made in 2004. Yeah. It's barely 10 years old. And, like, ah, and, like, I don't, like, so she wants to learn to dance, and he's, like, you gotta move your hips. And then she, like, runs into Patrick Swayze, who I guess is the same character from Dirty Dancing, even though he's 20 years older, and the movie is, what, 15 years, or 10 years? In the Cuban Revolution. Exactly, 10 years before the first Dirty Dancing, which doesn't make any fucking sense. Continuity, whatever, who cares? Um, And... You know, Diego Luna agrees to teach her to dance so they can enter this dancing contest. And then, of course... Her to win a prize. To win a prize so his family can go to America, which makes sense. Even though his brother clearly doesn't want to go to America because yeah. his brother just wants to purge all of the brother Americans from... Brother is Cuba. part of the revolution. He is right. like, yes, Che. Yes. yes. Um, which, by the way, like, the lightest version of the Cuban revolution I've ever seen in my Very entire lightest. life. Um, and... You know, so they're going to compete at, at the palace at this dance contest, and uh, and her family gets invited by uh, her young uh, white oh, guy yeah. that was going to be her um, suitor, her suitor. But spoiler alert: was her attempted rapist, right? And then she uses that to blackmail yeah. him so she like, can learn to dance. So like, remember when you were going to rape me? I'll tell my dad about it. Unless you, like, lie for me so I can go with my hot Cuban boy. Um, who was he with? Jonathan, um... I don't know. He looks familiar. Yeah, he's uh, basically a CW actor. He's right. Tuck Everlasting or whatever. Right. Um, but, uh... Yes. Yes. And, uh... Yeah. And so, her parents see her and are instantly embarrassed. How dare she dance right. with, a, with a foreign, like, sexual body. Mm-hmm. And, um... But they make it into the fina- into the finals, and so they're... Please, Papa! I just yeah. want to dance in the finals! <laughs> And so That's they're going to they're gonna go to the finals. Once again, the backdrop of this film is the Cuban Revolution. Right. Um, and the grossest moment in the entire film, finally she gets her parents to come around and she asks Celia Ward, you know, her mother, she's like, You like the way I danced? Katie. If you're asking me to prove of you and this boy, I can't. But the dancing... The dancing was incredible. I think I should take a little credit for that. I think you should too. Love that. (laughs) She just wants her to be happy. (laughs) And she can never be happy with somebody who's slightly more tan than her. (laughs) I can't. I hated this movie so much. And yeah. Though she does say... And there's like a whole thing. The parents used to be dancers. Yeah, but there's a whole thing of like 
I'm sorry you gave up your dreams, Mom, but I'm not give up my dreams. But that's the thing, is, like, her mother never comes around to seeing Diego Luna, like... As a human being. As a human being. The plot point shouldn't be, I'm okay with your dancing. It should be, I'm thinking of your boyfriend as something other than cattle. Right. <laughs> and like, she literally says something like, don't you think he's using you to, like, marry you to get... Right. Into America. Yeah. He's essentially the boogeyman to her, and he'll never be anything other than that. Right. And, like, this is a movie that's set in Cuba. Now, they filmed it in Puerto Rico, because obviously we can't film in Cuba. But, like, our point perspective should should not be the foreigners. And I get, like, we're, like, we're, I'm, sorry, Louis. <laughs> Gavin? I, I, I get that, nice, Gavin. I get that I'm the white person in the audience, so they put white people in the movie, so I will have an endpoint. Right. But they're literally in somebody else's fucking country. So my endpoint shouldn't be... White people are right. <laughs> like, it's fine as long as you're, like, dancing, I guess. Right. Um, they get to the final. It gets broken up because it's the Cuban Revolution. Whatever. Everybody ends up happy anyways. Right. The end. It's fucking trash. All the music's modern, which I get, like, the original Dirty yeah. Dancing is... Has a lot of modern music in it. But it also has a lot of 1960s. Like, it's got that great... Um, I suddenly can't think... The song Love is Strange, which I love that. That, hey, fellas. Hey, <laughs> baby. I was, um, but, uh, when I was watching it, I rewatched it after my yeah. flight. I rewatched it and I was struck by the music. Um, and it made me think back to like 2004 and it's all very like the Latin explosion was happening. Yeah. There's, um, there's that song by him. Hips don't lie. Hips don't on, lie. Yeah. It's on this without Shakira. Yeah. It's with someone else. The aesthetic of this movie, especially when they're at that, whatever that club is called, like it's like called Rosas or something. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Not crazy. Something real generic. Yeah, you're right, right. Something, like, really stupid, like, yeah. white people could get. Exactly. Uh, oh, it means red. Like, r- sex. Right. Because all these people care about is sex and dancing in the streets. But, like, literally, it's, like, scenes from, like, Step Up, but, like... Right. But, like, Latin. And so it's, like, everyone's, like, really sexy and hot and, like, just, like, stroking each other and there's lots of sweat. There's this one moment in the film, like, just as part of the problem... As I'm saying, like, that the, 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 the Latin people in the film aren't treated as human beings is there's a moment where he's teaching her to dance and they're in the club and she's not quite getting it. And he, like, passes her off for another woman. Yeah. And then she's, like, hurt because he's not being, like, monogamous with her right. as a dance partner. And he, like, comes back and he's like, I didn't want to ra- waste the rhythm. Yeah, I don't want to waste the music. I don't want to waste the music. And it's literally like, oh, no, these are, like... They're sexual beings and they can't have anything. Like, How could li- they? The music yeah. called to him. Exactly. Like, they see the color red and that's it. They're like, oh my God, it made me, it made me so angry. The whole movie, I was enraged the whole time. I will I've say, not seen something so racist in my life that's like considered a mainstream film. I will say I wasn't as offended, I think, as you were. Um, maybe I have a little bit of that terminal white guilt. I mean, maybe you do. <laughs> like, I mostly was like struck by the, like the music and like what they were, like when you see a movie like that from that time period, you can yeah. tell they were trying to like catch as many people as they could. They yeah. were like, Ooh, like Latin explosion. Here's like a very easy in for white people to feel like, okay. And like comfortable in this. I, it's kind of like, did we talk about Jumanji and that new Jumanji coming out? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, Oh, this is, they wrote a story and they were like, Let's throw Havet, like, Dirty Dancing on it and call it a day. Yeah. Um, and also, I was struck, there's a moment in this movie that really was uh, kind of shocking to me, just because you don't see this a lot. There's a moment where they're learning how to dance together, and uh, he they're having trouble, and he finally is like, something about leading and who's, like, in charge. Yeah. And he says, fine, then I'll be the woman. Oh, God, do you have to be such a guy? 
Okay. Okay, I'll be the girl. And he like kind of throws open his shirt and is like kind of like look like mincing. Yeah, he's mincing. He's just like very like loosey goosey, and I'm like, here is Diego, like yes. kind of showing you that he can like, I, I I don't know, I just wouldn't like, and and I feel bad because I mostly we're here to talk about Diego Luna, and I mostly just attack the film for being the film, but also like he's not, yeah, like I mean he's a part of the problem in the movie because I feel like for somebody who's so principled and so um you know, standing up for what he believes in, I feel like he should have taken one look at that script and been like, no, thank you. Bye. But it's also really early in his career. And I do understand that. But it's early yeah. in his career. I will say, I don't think, and he like apparently threw himself into the dancing. Like he oh, yeah. had to do like six months worth of dance training. Jesus. That was yeah. six months. And <laughs> oh my God. And, uh, and so like go to a quinceanera or two and you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like, uh, but outside of that, like, I don't know. The performance is generic because they don't, because yeah. the Cubans aren't treated as people. Right. And like that, so it doesn't, like, it, he could have been anybody. He could have been, like, it doesn't matter that it's Diego Luna. And you're right. That one scene was perhaps where he, like, the real Diego Luna shone through more than anything. I now. mean, I don't know if it was like, a, I think it mostly just talks about him. Like, and he's like unafraid to, yeah. to be feminine yeah. and to be soft um, but also he is the love interest and like, right. there is definitely like this magnetism about him and he's yeah. like, um, yeah, there are plenty of, I think, not there, great I was going to say there's more bad than there is good. Um, um, my second choice was, uh, the direct to video sequel, Vampire Los Muertos. I didn't uh, watch that. It's real bad. Starring um, Bon Jovi? Starring Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi, who acts like he's reading from a menu. Aww. And, uh, yeah. Did it, where did we see Bon Jovi last? Moonlight and Valentino there's, during the Whoopi Goldberg episode. Right, right. There she is. There um, she is. Did, did you watch Casa de Mi Padre? Yes, I did. Yeah. Um, there is a pair of movies that I want to mention. It's that movie and also Mr. Lonely. Yeah. Um, I didn't hate Mr. Lonely. I gotta say. I don't hate either movie. Yeah. I think they are both. Mr. Lonely has something to say, yeah. but I don't know what it is. <laughs> um, Casa de mi Padre has nothing, nothing to, to say, say yeah. but it's kind of entertaining. Yeah. Um, both movies, though, I wanted to mention because I didn't like them, either of them, but Diego Luna is having kind of the time of his life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, just being like, oh my god, I don't have to be, you know, this one thing Hollywood wants me to be. And Casa de mi Padre, he's sending up you know, that there's, whole there's idea. There's a great moment in Casa de Mi Padre with him where he uh, does this whole speech about, like, uh, how Americans are, like, stupid children. Yes. And I loved that Yes. Scene. Oh, my God. But at the same time, like, I don't know. Did no one think that, like, Will Ferrell... Like, it's great that Will Ferrell learned how to speak Spanish uh-huh. in, with, a, with a Mexican tone. But, like, did no one be like, you can't play a Mexican. Like, you cannot play a Mexican. Well, I think it was... He wanted to do it. Like, he, I know, it's his project. It, we often talk on this podcast about, like, um, Seth Rogen getting right. whatever he wants. Will there was Ferrell. a time where yeah. Will Ferrell did, like, a post-Anchorman, pre-Anchorman 2 time. Could do anything he wanted. Got, got anything he wanted. But, like, I still feel like somebody should have been, you can't play a Mexican. I you cannot play a Mexican. I'm man. not mad about that just because the movie is such yeah. farce. 
And actually, the post that, the same director and Will Ferrell teamed up and they did two miniseries for IFC, The Spoils of Babylon and The Spoils Before Dying. It's kind of the same. Very much the same. Both are really hilarious as well. I actually think they're better than Casa de Mi Padre. I feel but, like you just need to be really high to watch Casa yeah. de Mi Padre. And then also Mr. Lonely, where he plays a Michael, Michael Jackson, Jackson impersonator. impersonator. Let me tell you, he's not great as Michael Jackson. But he's very good as Diego Luna playing Michael Jackson. Right. And it's like the commitment. I yeah. was like, the movie spends a lot of time with him doing hee-hees yeah. and like motion. <laughs> yeah. And like he's in a wig and he has his makeup on. Yeah. And uh, he sounds like Diego Luna. Yeah. And uh, he's wearing like ridiculous Michael Jackson costumes. Do you live in Paris? Yeah. Yeah, not far from here where the immigrants live. Here? Yeah, in the city. Wow. You must love it here. <laughs> no, not really. Oh. How long have you been Michael? Hmm. I don't know. I guess I was born this way. <laughs> he, like, meets a Marilyn Monroe impersonator. Uh, they go to a commune. Yeah, which is all impersonators. And the whole thing is, like, they can sort of be themselves there, and, but the thing is about being themselves is that they've all, none of them want to be themselves, they right. want to be these other people. Right. And, like... In, Again, this movie has something to say. Yeah. And interspersed... <laughs> interspersed, there's, like, nuns. I don't... I don't love Harmony Korine. I, I love Spring Breakers, but I don't love his other films. This is Harmony Korine, who wrote and directed it. Um, he's decided to intersperse it with a plot of these nuns who believe that they... If they jump out of a plane without parachutes and survive, it's like they, they can fly. Divine God. intervention, and the the priest that's the head of their convent is Werner Herzog, um, <laughs> and he's like, "No, stop!" And I I really liked this movie. I don't know why that movie came out. I used to uh, I worked at Filmmaker Magazine for about nine months, about ten years ago, and uh, you'll see my byline if you ever look Ooh. up and. Um, and that movie came out while I was working at Filmmaker Magazine, and I just remember everybody raving about it, and I never saw it until last week. And I saw it today, and I was like... I was like, <laughs> I was like, I know there's something happening here. <laughs> Not sure what it is. Doing something like Mr. Lonely is clearly like him like being experimental and trying yeah. trying out different things and Casamiti Jamie Padre is not. <laughs> it's like, oh no, Casamiti Padre was like, I am gonna have a really fun like week yeah. and a half. Yep. Um just like playing everyone he has played before, but like going for broke and being yeah. like completely like batshit crazy about it. Anyway, let's talk about better things. Yeah, so let's move into our five star reviews. It's kind of slim pickings, mostly because I, in my heart, I've, if I, I have to believe if we would have found more of his Mexican movies, um, yes, the conversation would have been different. Um, but it kind of like begins and ends with Ita Mama Tambien. Yeah, you know that movie is iconic in like so many ways. Him and Gael are amazing in that movie. Yeah, the chemistry, and also the, the chemistry with the woman. Yeah. And, uh, I was actually, like, vague tweeting about this earlier. Um, I've not watched that movie since college. Let's, um, and, uh, this was the first time I, I watched that film, and, like, I saw myself in the woman's character. Really? Because, like, really, I've always sort of associated with either Diego Luna or Gael, and actually more with Diego Luna, I think, to hey, be honest. Her name is uh, Maribel Verdú. Yes. She's a Spanish actress, actually. Right, she's, she's not Mexican herself. Um, 
I actually am not even going to bother like arguing with you. I also think that that's yeah. like I think I'd be lying if I said that there's a better film that he's been in. Yeah, that um, movie like front to back yeah. is just like and and kind of like similarly like this movie has something to say, right? And it's very specific and it knows what it wants to say and like the the translation like from c- cinema and film to uh, that human connection is so clear, yeah. like. Uh, well, and that's beautiful. The thing. Uh, as I mentioned before, Itamama Temiam was Alfonso Cuarón's return to Mexico. He had already he had done a uh, Little Princess and um, Great Expectations in Hollywood. And the Little Princess is great. Great Expectations looks pretty. And um, <laughs> this was in two thousand one. This was in two thousand one, and he decided to return to Mexico and do the sort of film that he'd always wanted to do before he went to film school, which was a road trip. Uh, movie. Yeah, exactly, and, and like specifically an American road trip movie yeah. done in Mexico with two guys and done shot like really low budget. And to my knowledge, I cannot confirm this, um, but it was a one camera shoot. Um, and, and shot purposely like a documentary. He didn't want to use any dollies or, and so like, it's shot like a documentary because he wanted to feel very real. He also really wanted to imbue the political upheaval of the time because this was the first time in 70 years that this political party had come. It's wild because I remember like, so I'm from the the border of Mexico and I remember this happening and I, I was going to say, no, let me tell it, Louis. Right. Yeah. Gavin, tell us about this Mexican revolution. <laughs> and and not that I was like super entrenched in it, but I remember being like, oh my God, the president is from this party that hasn't been, you know, elected in 70 plus years. Uh, and I, I mean, it resonated even, you know, right. to, to my life. Um, when I, I was, I don't know how the fuck old I was in 2001. I guess I was in middle school, maybe. And oh, uh, you baby, uh-huh, a child. Um, and, but that's also the, I was just about to graduate high school. Oh, just about to have my third marriage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I saw this movie because my dad, uh, bought the DVD and we had it at the house. And like, if it's penetrated to like where my father is consuming the media, yeah. it's like, you know, it's like a big fucking deal. And so I watched it when I was too young. I didn't understand it. I remember being very turned on by them making out though. Um, and then I just recently watched it again. Um, and yeah, and, and Diego's talked about this movie about how Mexico itself is a character and how Mexico is. I mean, also... I hate when people, I, I'm going to cut you off of that. I hate that. I hate, <laughs> I hate when people are like, New York City's a character in the film. Like, go on. But I mean, like, the, he's not wrong. He's not wrong because there's a lot of like B plot about, you know, there's a narrator, there's an omniscient narrator who's yes. telling you just different things about where, where they're passing by. Yeah. And it's, he said, you know, uh, these two teenage boys, they're going through adolescence and sexual discovery of themselves. And similarly, Mexico is doing the same. Like, yeah. this yeah. discovery of itself and what it wants to be. NAFTA has just, you know, been enacted. And so Mexico is changing. The economy of this, the, the whole country is changing and, um, what it looks like. There's a lot of, like, class things going on in this movie. Yeah. Cause they're, so they're both. Well, I would say they're well to do. Like yeah, Diego Luna's character wants to be a writer. Diego Luna is very well off in this, uh, yes. in this movie. His family um is part of like the political, you know, right. class. Uh Gael's character is less uh, it's Diego's um uh, character's name is Tenoch. Tenoch. And his uh and Thank and, you. I was literally just looking that up. And uh he's very well off and his family gets to do whatever the fuck they want. And and it's kind of like alluded to that his family um steals or maybe is like corrupt yeah um and that's how they have their power um and uh gael his family is more middle class um and there's a moment in the movie when they're fighting and like it kind of like 
bubbles up where they call each other like hillbilly and uh Gael calls Diego, you know, a fresa, which is like a prep. Um uh, and so like they, they have this underlying like tension between right. them, but they're such good friends. Um essentially and also so I guess this movie is about these two boys. Yeah, so it's it starts with them having sex with their girlfriends as, right before their girlfriends leave to for Italy because their girlfriends are going off to Italy right. is for the summer. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for the summer. Yeah, like, yeah. I it, but it's vague. It's uh, they're going abroad. Right. And um at the, there's this party later on and this is where they end up meeting um uh Maribel Maribel uh What's her who name? she's the uh, she's a fiance she's I the wife of she's a wife that's right she's the wife she's the wife of a cousin of uh um Tenoch. Yes. and uh I'm probably saying that name incredibly wrong Tenoch. Tenoch. and uh and they tell her about this beach it's Luisa uh, her name's Luisa. Luisa yes uh they tell her about Heaven's this, Mouth Heaven's Mouth which is Oh, 100% made up. But right. they're trying to impress her. And she doesn't really think much of them. Like, doesn't yeah. affect... But you later see she has, like, a diagnosis from her doctor, and then she finds out her husband's cheating on her, and the first thing she does, like... Calls him like, up. Yeah. Insane break with reality. Right. She calls him up and she's like, let's go to this beach. Let's go. And she's an older woman, yeah. you know, and they're, like, teens. Yeah, they're maybe 19. Yeah, maybe. exactly. And, um... And so it becomes this road trip film um, where they're constantly fighting about, uh, I mean, essentially over her, but like a lot of it bubbles up over their girlfriends. Yeah. And, you know, it's like sex also. Like, yeah. what do you like? And, and she kind of like is shit stirring though. She's oh like, yeah, absolutely. She's like, what do you like? And what, like, when was the first time you had sex? And how, like, blah, blah, blah. And I, I think part of that is, is like her, her life is ending in more ways than one. Right. Um, yeah. And so she wants a moment to live out somebody else's life I think and she's sort of it's uh, taking that from from them and it's it's incredible to see like these two like also knowing that these are best friends in real life yeah and seeing them have this like energy that they're playing off each other the movie uh does not like really hold it back as far as like language like they say the f word yeah <laughs> in a lot in spanish um and it's and a, most a lot of the dialogue was improvised as well too. So they had like sketches of what was supposed to happen in each scene. It feels like it feels so natural and yeah. real. And and I think a lot of that though is like, for me, I was very affected by the scenery that they go through. I was just gonna say the other important thing in the movie is the backgrounds. There's a really amazing scene after they've fought over her. Um, they both had sex with her, and they both then admitted to sleeping with each other's girlfriends. They just have this giant explosion. She gets out of the car. And walks, and finally she comes back, and she's like, but I'm laying down some ground rules. And she gives ten rules as to how they're to treat her, mostly. Uh-huh. And But as they're doing it, they're, like, driving through this area of road where all these people have been stopped by right. Mexican soldiers. And they're, like, being pulled from their cars, and their cars are being searched. And they're just sort of passing through. And it's not the thesis of the, of the scene, mm-hmm. but it is the backdrop in which the right. scene is occurring. And this happens a lot of times. There are times where, and, and Alfonso has decided, like, he'll take the camera away from the conversation and you yeah. hear it, but all of a sudden you're in the back of this restaurant and you see these old women who are making food. And it's not, like, sad and it's not, like, you know, exploitative at all. It's just kind of, like, matter of fact. Yeah. You know, all the while, they're, like, you're just getting this beautiful world building of Mexico where it's, like, and it's not, again, it's not exploitative. It's just right. kind of like matter of fact, and it's great. 
So the tension eventually builds to the the scene that everybody seems yeah. to be aware of when they, the, which is the threesome yeah. that occurs. Um, and it, it's um, they're at a bar. So they're all like getting drunk, and they're kind of like all just like having admissions. Yeah, it's like oh, it's where the title of the film comes. Yeah, from, like oh, I've had sex with your girlfriend actually multiple times, and yeah. oh, me too, and oh, and like and every time they do a shot after every time, and they're like, and it's you can really feel the love. Between yeah. the three of them, and like it's a really funny scene yeah, too. It's great um, because at that point you do feel like you know them, and everybody's performance is so natural. Yeah, and as I said, like Diego Luna, really for for not wanting to cast him, I don't know if who else. Uh, yeah, Alfonso Cuarón would have gotten a better performance out of anyone else. Uh, um, yeah, and I think there's a moment where he asks, like, "Oh, did you also fuck blah blah blah?" And then Gael says, "Oye, tu mamá también." And I feel like Diego is definitely given the more innocent character, and perhaps that's the advantage of wealth. That yeah. I mean, he plays the he plays the like I'm so tough, like, but it's yeah. not yeah. true, right? And I mean, there's like a one beautiful moment where. He's, they're driving through like anywhere and he looks over and it's like this little village and the narrator comes out and says, this is where his nanny grew up. Yeah. Uh, and his nanny is his actual mother because, you know, he's been, he called her mom from the beginning. She's always been there, blah, blah, blah. But he, and it's all bottled up though. It's classic right. teenage, like kind of like under the water, very murky yeah. stuff. Um, yeah, this movie is, uh, it's sexy, it's funny, yeah. it's, uh, you know... And without giving anything too away about the end, like, the... It's it's worth... The ending is so good and, and very powerful in a very unique way. And I don't, I don't know, like, I think it goes back to, as you're mentioning, like... I mean, clearly it goes back to their adolescence, but also goes back to, like, the changing of Mexico's right. adolescence. I implore you, like, I feel like people will want to, like, kind of zone out during the narrator's kind of, like, random one-offs. Yeah. No, he's just like very important. Right, just, like, stay with it and, like, yeah. try and understand. Like, they're talking a lot. Like, there's a moment where they talk about, oh, the traffic wasn't because of a jam. It was because of an accident, because of a migrant worker. Yeah. And it's, like, and, it, and these are important social issues that are, like, show a lot about what's happening within Mexico. Um, um, super fun, super great movie. When it came to America, they had to release it unrated because in America we're such fucking prudes right. that it would have been an NC-17. And in this and movie, there's a like probably four too many dick shots. <laughs> like there's a scene of the, both of them jerking off together, like yeah. at a pool. There's them like horsing around in like a shower. Um, and then, of course, the fucking of Luisa, which yeah. is kind of intense. We've had certain offers to reenact certain scenes of Ito Mama Tambien. And we have, we have accepted many times. Now that I think about it, she, I mean, she, when we say she's an older woman, she was like maybe our age now. Yes, yeah, yeah. And they're like 90. She's definitely closer to me than she is to you. And yeah, she, so like. I mean, I mean, she's, and she's kind of just like. You can see, like, the love exuding out of her. Yeah. She's and, the one who, like... And she's given some really terrible news right up front, and, yeah. like, it... And like, then there are moments where she's, like, crying on the phone with her fiancé or yeah, her yeah. husband, and, like, you see a reflection of, you know, uh, Tenoch and Julio having, like, fun at a bar, where right. she's, like, crumbling because her world's falling apart. Right. And because she's also dealing with life, yeah. and they're at a point which they don't have to. Yeah, and she... and. 
she's like really truly taking the beauty of life and like she yeah. truly appreciates the beach when they finally get there she appreciates the people they meet she appreciate i mean she's you know fucking these youngsters and she's just like i'm living life she's she's doing her eat pray love okay yeah. <laughs> but uh but as we mentioned diego's performance is is, is particularly great yeah. like just, just really fantastic and really nuanced you know, and you would never guess that he started. I didn't know until we started doing the research that he started out on a telenovela because yeah, he, he's you know, so good. He's so good. I wanted to mention if you guys are interested in uh, maybe checking out some of his Mexican movies, the things that are beyond Itamama Tambien. Um, I watched Solo Quiero Caminar, uh, which I think it's called Just Walking or yeah. like Walking Revenge or something. There's a revenge in the English title, perhaps. Um, and I also watched Nicotina. Um, both of them are okay. Uh, Nicotina is way more stylish and fun, I thought. And it, early 2000s, man. Right. It, I mean, it very much looks like an episode of MTV's Undressed. <laughs> Rudo y Cursi. Also yes, Rudo y Cursi, which I up, also saw, yeah. Team up with Gael. Yeah, it did make a huge impact on me, I'll say. Yeah. I was a little turned off by, uh, by some of the... Sports. Uh, well, <laughs> just, first of all, sports ball, yes. But also, like... And anything that got a little too homophobic, they're very quick to get in and like. I will say, I, yes, I kind of really like Diego in the movie though. He yeah. Is it's playing- funny because he's up, like, I never, I was never rooting for him and I feel like the movie wants you to feel a little more sympathy for him. Yeah. But he's a bad guy. He, I mean, he plays something, someone different than we've seen before. Yeah. This is probably his most masculine yeah, part. I- Looks good with a mustache. Looks he looks really great does. with a mustache. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he he's playing very masculine, uh, kind of big brother, tough. Um, and yeah, yeah, also just like a completely different shade of Mexico that you're not used to seeing. Yeah. Uh, definitely. And that was, um, uh, I suddenly can't think of his name. Oh, uh, another Cuaron, right? Yeah, yeah. He's uh, Alfonso's brother. Yeah. Who, and he co-wrote It's Mama Tamien. And it was the sixth highest grossing movie ever in Mexico. Yeah. Which really shocked me because no one talks about it. The other movie that I saw that I actually really liked that is not very well received, um, is this 2006 British film called Fade to Black. Um, which is available to rent on Amazon or YouTube, but it never actually came out in America, which really? I think is really interesting. Yeah. And it's, um, it stars Danny Houston as Orson Welles. And it's when Orson Welles was, uh, filming the, um, uh, movie Black Magic, uh, not a movie he directed, but that he starred in, um, in post World War II Italy. And he gets involved in, uh, like, possible mob plot, possible communist plot, possible, like, fascist mm. democrat plot okay. like lots of um, possibilities yeah exactly also the movie's like stylish but not stylish enough like it's like met it you clearly tell that the director was very influenced not by like citizen kane but like orson welles movie mr arkadin it looks a lot like mr arkadin actually but uh diego plays an italian and actually has multiple scenes in which he only speaks italian really and uh and actually his like he's in a love triangle with Orson and this woman played by Paz Vega, who's a Spaniard who's also playing Italian. And it was, uh, I live with a fluent Italian speaker. Uh, and, and I played them some of the scenes and they were like, she's fantastic. They, they were like, you could not tell that she's not Italian in the scenes. And he's like, Diego Luna is like 80% there. Right. But, and I was like, that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. And like, that's another movie where he's like very butch and very like, <laughs> um, very drawl. And like, he's a great sidekick to Orson Welles. And he goes through some shit in that film. <laughs> it's like a $3 rental and it's yeah. worth, it's worth your time. It's fun, you know? Yeah. And, uh, cool. Yeah. So there, I mean, 
slim pickings, but you know there are some fun things out there if you look for them. Yes, um, not enough, in my opinion, not enough starring roles. No, like uh, and uh, the reason why we chose Diego is uh, he has a movie movie coming out. Oh yes, so I guess we should move into our fast forward. So his uh, new movie is called Flatliners. Yes, it's a remake of the movie Flatliners. Um, starring Ellen Page. Yes, it, it. so it came out this past weekend. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, no, well, I you looked at me like... like I was trying to think. I was like, when um, did it come out? No, like, it did because... It, no one saw it. So uh, we don't have the returns yet because it's still Saturday, technically Sunday, in which we're recording this episode... But uh, it has garnered the um, rare treat of being a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes, the yeah. review aggregator. Um, and a lot of the reviews seem to say that, like, why the fuck was this, like, mediocre film remade? Mm. Um, I know people who love the original Flatliner, so I'm so sorry if you're listening to this new Which starred Julie Roberts and Kiefer Sutherland. Yes, and apparently Kiefer has a cameo in it. Um, but this is a remake, so, like, he's not playing the same character. Um, the new one, it says, expects to make somewhere between 5 and $8 million this weekend. We try and stay topical, and, like, I, I don't know, Flatliners, neither, clearly neither of us went to see nope, it. And, like, nope, nope, nope. Neither of us are interested. We were like, oh, here's an excuse to do Diego Luna. But if you are interested in another film that came out this year, The Bad Batch, it's on Netflix, he's in it for five seconds. Yeah. Literally, and we mentioned that, and... Um, and then his next film, I don't know, I just feel like he's full of disappointments. His next film's a Woody Allen movie. It's yeah. untitled, and it's just like... It's, it's, it's the one with Selena Gomez, right? Yeah. And it's just like, mm, uh, Diego, don't. I mean, I, it's funny. It'll be interesting to see, going forward, what Star Wars does, does for, for him. him. Yeah. Because clearly, I mean, that s- signals, like, that sends a signal to Hollywood that, like, oh... America was chill with, you know, a Mexican-accented leading man and making a bunch of fucking money. And, so- and literally, if you Google his name, he has a movie out this weekend. If you Google his name and hit news, it's Star all, Wars. all the stories say Star Wars. Star Wars. Like, so... 10,000%. Like, it's almost as if his the two headlines in Diego Luna's life are Star Wars and Eat the Mama También. Yeah. Those are, like, far and away the most talked-about movies, uh about him like uh, you know um and it's unfortunate because i think uh, those like mr lonely and casa de mi padre like he clearly has lots to do i think you know and he has the talent to do a lot of different things he doesn't have like the opportunity um and i think he he said in interviews like he would love to make more hollywood movies but he also just loves being in mexico city doing like theater you know i think he says he goes home all the time and does like Shakespeare. Um, and as we mentioned before, uh, he's also directed a couple films. He had a movie yeah. come out a couple years ago based on the life of Cesar Chavez was not well received. He has another movie that just came out this past year, played Sundance called Mr. Pig. I actually watched it. Oh, yeah. Um, cause I was curious to see what kind of filmmaker he is. Um, I wasn't super impressed with the filmmaking, but I was really impressed with the performances. So maybe he's a much more actor director. Yeah. Um, Danny, it stars Danny Glover and Maya Rudolph and they're, they're great in it, but the story is very indie movie, like mm, father. Fa- yeah. Well, father dying and the daughter has like a not great relationship with the father and like getting to appreciate each other. Like that's, that's every indie movie that comes out. Right. Like, um, if you want more of Diego, uh, there is a series on Amazon Prime right now called um, Back Home. Yes. Or Homebound or something of that nature. And that he executive produced 
um, and where he literally just takes actors to Latin countries um, that they are kind of like loosely uh, related to. The first episode is Michael Pena and he goes to Mexico City where his father was born and raised. Um, I think the season finale is Alexis Bledel going to Argentina and you don't see Diego on screen too much, but he is the one who is like facilitating the conversations with these people, uh, which again was just speaking to like, you know, half of the series is like graphics about theater in Mexico and actors from Mexico and what they're doing. And I, it was just super interesting to like kind of get a peek into like this artist's life in uh, Mexico. And I love that he has this platform where he's able to like kind of show that off. Yeah. Like you said, I hope the post star Wars bump, like gives him more interesting options. Um, but yeah, like, but I like the, like he's so good about what he does. That's not, like making movie like the like di- like di- doing the direction and doing the outreach and doing that like right. I don't know if I want anything really different because I don't feel I don't feel like acting's really his pr- primary goal yeah. like acting's just a means to an end True. for him I I will say I mean which makes it sound like I don't think that he's a good actor I do think he's a good actor I think he's very talented his passion but, though but I think his passion is more altruistic than yeah, acting. just acting. Yeah. But I really would love, you know, just more of in the Star Wars vein where he's just like playing someone and yeah. that has nothing to do with him being Mexican. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's funny because Gael, who I think acting is his true passion yeah, yeah, calling. Yeah. He has such a more wide, you know, filmography. Yeah, he, he has a more, in, um, definitely much more interesting filmography. Sorry, Louis. No, um, I, 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 you're right. He kind of is like the mirror, like gender flip of Selma Hayek. Yeah. Um, and, it, it, but that's, I guess that's the other thing. And I don't, I don't want to dwell too much further on just for length reasons, but like I was thinking about that as well because like, Salma Hayek has the other thing going for her, which is that Hollywood loves sexy women, and right. she is an absolutely gorgeous, sexy woman. Right. Well, we discussed that. We right. had a very long conversation about like the beauty that is Salma Hayek, and it's not just beauty. It is, in a way, sort of the, what I was talking about with Dirty Dancing Men and Nights, but not as extreme. Like she's never really, she's rarely cast, except for in her bad roles, as just a body. Right. But the problem with men in Hollywood is. Only maybe in the last 10, 15 years has Hollywood decided to like capitalize on male sexuality. Ma- yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, there's some arguments to be made that there's Hollywood films that admit male sexuality, but I think they're, I think they're rare cases. Yeah. And they're very specific. And yeah. I don't think Diego falls into that category yeah. of what that is. Um, but yeah, I, so all this is to say, I think Diego Luna has had a more, um, arduous and specific path. Like maybe even Gael have not had, you know, yeah. Gael's probably closer to what they've been going on, but, um, Gael as an actor, I think has been able to kind of break through in lots of different yeah. ways. So yeah, I think he's got a lot of different hurdles than a lot of other actors. And, and I don't, I don't think there's any like peer of his that you can like kind of compare it. I mean, Gael's certainly the closest, but, um, beyond them two, it's kind of like, what else you got? You know, I yeah. love Diego Luna. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. He's not the problem with his career. No. Um, his career is the problem with his career. Right. Um, I want more. Before we enter our full spiel about where you can find us online, I did want to mention that we did get a piece of mail. We did get mail. And I love this. Um, it was so nice. It's uh, from Jess. I don't want to read her full name because, like, 
Jessica. Yes. Uh, well, I don't. I don't want to read her full name just because you know, like people deserve their privacy. But this privacy. Thank you, thank you Jess. Uh, hey, Gavin and Louie, I wanted to say I'm really loving the podcast so far. I actually found you because I'd been thinking of starting a show called Mixed Reviews. I wanted to check if anyone had the name already. I said to myself, "Listen to it. If it's just the same straight dudes talking about the same movies, spitting the same straight opinions as so many other podcasts, fuck them. Take the name." I little, love you. Little, I love little you. Little did she know. I love you. Thank you. And then you. she heard my voice and was like, oh, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Instead, I found a great show with funny, insightful guys seeking out a variety of people to talk about uh, that's quickly becoming one of my favorites. So now, rather than step on your brand, I need a new name for my still non-existent podcast. I do hope you find one. America, let's 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 rally. We need it. We just need a name for a podcast. Um, I just listened to the Charlize Theron episode and realized I actually haven't seen a lot of her movies, even though I really like her. My roommate, I went to see Atomic Blonde last week, and I was telling her about your show. She doesn't listen to podcasts, but would definitely enjoy yours since the format is basically how she chooses to watch movies, anyways. When I was mentioning what Charlize roles you didn't like, she said, was one of them Sweet November, because that whole movie is the worst. Ring-a-ding-ding, girl. Yes. <laughs> and then proceeded to drag Sweet November for about ten minutes. Well, <laughs> she could listen to a full hour of right. what she wants. <laughs> if you guys ever forgot, that was my pick for her shittiest, and, awfulest movie. And rightly so. Rightly so. Uh, lastly, I also wanted to float a suggestion that maybe in October you guys could take a look at some of the old Universal Monster movies. I know there's a lot of them. But I'd be interested to hear your take on some, especially considering Universal is trying to resurrect them with their Dark Universe, uh, which is a stupid dramatic name, to be honest. Uh, I had actually never made the connection that The Mummy 1999 and The Mummy 2017 were supposed to be remakes of The Mummy 1932, but shrug. Uh, have a great day and keep up the great work. Jess. Jess, I will respond to this. I just want to make sure Louie had read it first. Um, we'll discuss that, because maybe Louie would be interested in that. I'm a huge... No, I'm kidding. I, I'm a huge Universal Studios monster fan. Um, I we actually, do one spooky episode every three months. I'm so sorry, Jess. <laughs> that has been taken. Wow. <laughs> Unfortunate. Um, I'm kidding. But if you want to reach us online, very much the way Jess did, and we will read your less messages on the show, um, you can reach us at The Mixed Reviews on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Just type in the mixed reviews. You can email us like Jess did at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. You can find our podcast all sorts of places. Absolutely. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on Google Play Music. We are on SoundCloud. You know, we're just, we're everywhere. Mm-hmm. We're taking over, bitches. Yeah. And, um, uh-huh. <laughs> I've had some wine. <laughs> just a little bit. And, uh, yeah. And that's our show for this week. And we're going to go discuss what we're doing for next week since this is the first day of the month of Halloween. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, um, please uh, vote on our Twitter poll. I promise. I'll be better about it this week. Show some Diego love to us. Um, promises. Promises. Love that show. Love that show. <laughs> See you guys. Bye. Bye bye. Hi, Maria. When you were here before, couldn't look you in the eye. You're just like an angel. Your skin makes me cry. But I'm a creep I'm a weirdo What am I doing?